Hey, good morning, everyone. How's it going? Oh, you're good. Take your time. <laughs> well, my name's Eric. It's good to be with you all. I think most of you know who I am, but for those who, who don't, really quickly, I've been coming to CIV for 12 years now. Um, I, I became a Christian in college my sophomore year, and, and that's when I started coming. So um, it's been really fun just to, to be part of this church and to continue to get to give back in at least some small way by, by doing this. Um, I'm married. I'm married to Jess. A lot of you know Jess. Um, she's watching the kids today, but um, she, we've been married for two and a half years, and I work uh, in the tech industry. I work at a biotech and a data company. I'm a senior product manager there. Um, and so we're going to start a new series today. It's a series called Personal Parables, and I called it that partly because of the alliteration. I couldn't really pass that one up, but mostly because all these parables that we're going to talk about for the next four weeks are, are personal to me. You know, they've been ones that as I have studied the Bible and gone along in, in my walk with God that God has used to challenge me and point things out to me again and again and again as I've continued to read them. So I really hope that as we go through them over the next few weeks that God does the same for all of us. So today we're going to look at the parable of the sower. Um, we're going to focus on the account in Mark chapter 4, although Jesus, uh, it, it's recorded as well in Matthew 13 and Luke 8 as well. One of the cool things about the parables is sometimes they... Uh, show up in, in many different Gospels. That was a good catch, huh? <laughs> Maybe I'll just hold this so the wind doesn't get me. Um, why did I choose the parable of the sower for the first one? Well, first, it actually gives us understanding of why parables in the first place. Have you ever wondered that? Like, why did Jesus use so many parables? There's about 40 or so uh, throughout the Gospels. Some of them, like I said, are repeated in a couple different places. He used them a lot. Why is that? Well, in the context of explaining the parable of the sower, Jesus tells us why he used parables in the first place. You know, is it because they're memorable? Why did he do that? Secondly, um, this is a very unique parable because it's really one of the only ones that in the text Jesus explains. A lot of times he just says a parable and doesn't explain it. But, but here in the text, we have recorded Jesus telling us what this parable actually means. So it's really interesting. And in Mark 4, what we're going to see in a bit here is that Jesus tells the disciples that if they don't understand this parable, they will not understand all the parables. So it's kind of interesting. So what better way to start a, a message series on parables than the one that Jesus says is the key to understanding all the rest. And what we're going to find as we study the text is you know, the parable of the sower is all about the state of our heart. It's about the state of our heart as we approach the scripture, as we approach the word of God, the gospel. And what it's doing is it's challenging us to examine ourselves, to identify any attitudes that make us unreceptive to the word. And what we're going to see as we study is that the parable of the sower is not just about your initial response to the gospel. It's actually about your continual response over time to God's word in your life. So we're going to start reading in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he, being Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came along and devoured it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in this parable, Jesus describes four different landing places for the seed. That is, um, the seed being the word of God, right? It's the gospel, the truth that the Bible reveals to us that we are all sinful. We have all um, gone against God. And as a result of that, as Romans 3.23 says, we deserve death. But God in his love for us has provided a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to him through the death sacrifice of Jesus Christ who took our, our punishment upon him. And so... As Jesus explains in the text, there's four different landing places, and these all represent the different kinds of, of people and responses to that message, to the gospel message. There are some places where seed doesn't grow, right? Or maybe it starts to grow a little bit, but ultimately doesn't bear fruit. And then there's the good soil that produces a crop, representing the fruit that is born in our lives as uh, God uses the word and as we continually and faithfully respond to it, putting it into practice, treating it as if it's true because it is. Now, I think for, for many of you, maybe not all of you, but for many of you, this parable is probably pretty familiar, right? If you've read the Bible before or been to church before, you, you may have heard the parable of the sower. But what I want us to do this morning is look at this in its historical context as if we had never heard it before, because that's all these people were hearing it. And I think that's going to help us understand why Jesus teaches it in the first place and why it's very important for us to heed even today. So we're going to go back to, to verse one here. Right in verse one, it says a very large crowd had come to see Jesus so much so that he had to uh, get, get into a boat to get right space to them so he could actually talk to them because they were all crowded around him. Now, this crowd isn't unexpected. Um, by the time we get to Mark chapter four, Jesus has been ministering in the area for a while. He's been preaching that the kingdom of God is near. He's been calling people to repent, to turn from their sin and re uh, believe the gospel. And he's also performed quite a few miracles at this point. He's um, cast out demons from people. He's cleansed lepers. He's he healed a bunch of people. And as you can imagine, this is creating quite a buzz right in the region. Like, who is this guy who's doing all these things? If we go back one chapter into Mark chapter three, we, we see kind of what was going around on around Jesus at this time. So in Mark three, uh, seven through 10, it's going to be up on the screen here. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan, from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Right? So there's all this buzz, this excitement. If we keep reading in verse 20, it says Jesus went home. He couldn't even eat because there's so many people around trying to get near him. And so you can imagine the scene right in Mark four, when he starts it's telling the, the parable of the sower, chaotic, exciting. You've come a long way to see this guy, hear this guy, maybe be healed, probably, hopefully be healed by this guy. And then he gets in the boat and he says, listen, and it doesn't say in the text, but I imagine there was just a, a hush right over the crowd anticipation. What is he going to say? And then he says, I'm going to tell you about some seeds. Like, what? Like, what does that mean? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. We're talking about Seeds, so you're not going to heal us. No, just seeds today. That's it. You know, I came all the way from Tyre to hear this. You can imagine just, what is he talking about? If you've never heard this before, what is going on? A lot of us, we know this story. It's familiar to us, but these people is brand new. They've never heard it before. Jesus, right? We're, we're a farming society. We understand how seeds grow. They knew that, but you know, what is he talking about? Can't you do a miracle? This, this isn't what we came for. 
is what I imagine the attitude was. But it makes me wonder, maybe it makes you wonder, how often do I do this very thing? Right? How often do I read the Bible with a desire to see what I want to see with my own agenda, rather than you know, learn what God has for me that day and be open to what he is trying to say through the scripture. And then I end up just thinking this wasn't what I came for. Right? Every time I read the Bible, every time you read the Bible, you, you are reading the word of God. Every time someone up here comes and reads scripture, you know, we're hearing the word of God, the truth. Right? It's the truth. It's alive and active as Hebrews 4.12 says. It's something that can point us to the truth of life in Christ, the life that God wants us to live. It's an amazing gift we have the scripture, the opportunity to hear it and read it, um, to see what God reveals through it, engage with it. And yet, I'll read something that's confusing or something maybe I don't like, and I just think, well, this isn't what I came for. Right? Is it the word that's the problem, or is it me? Is it the, uh, the heart, right? My heart, the condition of my heart. And this is what the parable of the sower is trying to get us to see, and it's why it's so important for us to understand the seed, the message is not the problem. The message is the truth. Scripture is perfect. It's where the seed lands. It's, it's, it's our hearts. God's, God wants us to have life in Christ. The truth is there for us, but we need to have the right heart, the good soil, as Jesus calls it here, to receive that truth in order for it to bear the fruit in our lives. But then, I think the question is, why a parable? Why not just say, hey, there's four types of hearts. Be the last one. Right? Why does he sell, tell this parable that's kind of confusing and doesn't make sense if you've never heard it before? Well, the disciples have the same question. And so we're going to keep reading in Mark 4 and see how Jesus answers that question, starting in verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the 12, the 12 disciples, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, he's quoting Isaiah here, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, I think that response is pretty unexpected. Isn't that interesting? Like, Jesus came to bring forgiveness, right? He desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that from 1 Timothy 2.4. The Bible is very clear on that. But here, Jesus quoting again Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, the parables are lest they turn and be forgiven. You see, Jesus doesn't use parables to be memorable, although they are quite memorable. He doesn't use parables to, because a good teacher uses illustrations in their messages. Why parables? Jesus is saying here that he uses parables to prevent understanding for some people. Not what we would expect. That's what he says. It's right there. Now, I think here is a great opportunity for us to, to pause and approach this with the right heart. Why does he say this? Right? Instead of just brush past this, Jesus, that was dumb. Why did you do that? Well, why did he do this? Right? Let, let us seek to understand and trust that Jesus knew what he was doing. So to help us understand, we have to go even a little further back into the context of this parable. As I mentioned, this is not the first thing that Jesus has done as part of his ministry. If we go back further in Mark chapter 1, as 14 through 15, we see this. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now that's very clear, right? There's no mention of a seed anywhere there, right? It's very clear. The gospel, repent, turn to Jesus. And as he's doing this, right, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. 
he's doing that, of course, to, to bless them and help them and serve them. But he's also doing that to reveal his identity, that he truly was the Messiah that was promised in, in the prophets and all the scripture leading up to this, right? that he was truly God. So these are very, very clear signs that Jesus is performing. Very, very clear. He's not obscuring anything here. But many people saw these amazing acts. They heard this um, the amazing truth of the gospel, this call to repent, but they were not receptive to the message of the gospel. And in Mark chapter 3, right before Jesus teaches this parable, we see some people think that he's crazy. We see that some people think he's doing these miracles by the power of demons, like he's casting out demons with other demons, which doesn't even make sense, right? Like they're on the same team, the demons. Like, why would that happen? This is only God. God is doing this. This is God's power. And Jesus is showing that he is God. And that's the point. You see, they see this clear evidence, clear evidence of Jesus's identity, who he was, his deity, but they do not perceive. They hear a clear call to repent. They do not understand. Their hearts were unreceptive to the message, the spiritual truth of the gospel. I'm sure there was a crowd, right? But why were they there? They were there just for the healing, which wasn't a bad thing, right? It's good that people are being healed. God is a healer. He loves doing that. But Jesus did that to point to the truth of who he was. And they they were just missing the gospel right in front of them. And so he begins to speak in parables to winnow the crowd, to sort through and see why are people really here? Are they here for me and the truth I bring? Or are they just here for the, the stuff, right? The excitement, But in Mark chapter 3, the Bible also describes another group of people, the disciples. In Mark 3, Jesus calls um, the 12 to him, names them apostles. And he tells them in verse 11, uh, if you go back one, or forward one, sorry. Anyway, he says in verse 11, to you disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. To those who are not receptive to the message of Jesus, parables obscure the truth. They think this isn't what I came for, what is going on. But to those who are receptive, who humble themselves, who seek to understand, you know, Jesus gives them understanding, right? They came for Jesus. That's why they were there, to learn from him. Whatever he said, you're talking about seeds? Great. What does that mean? How does that apply to me? Because I trust you, Jesus. I believe you are who you said you were. And so the application for us today, of course, is how is your heart to the word of God? How is my heart to the word of God? Why did we come to church this morning? Of course, there's many parts of church, right? It's to be together in fellowship and enjoy that. It's to uh, sing songs to God and worship. It's all of that. But we're here for Jesus, right? We're here to hear his word, understand his word, apply his word together as a community. You know, Jesus uses the parable to sower to challenge us. How is your heart? How is my heart? to the word? How do we approach scripture? Do we hear it and we're prideful? Like, oh, I heard this before. I'm good. I don't need to hear the parable of the sower again. Rebellious? Like, I don't believe this. I don't want to follow this. Maybe too busy to seek it at all. Or do we seek to understand by living in the word and humbly living it out by putting it into practice and being obedient? And as you see the, the work and the evidence of God in your life, his, his clear provision for us, his protection, um, just the majesty of his creation, right? This clear evidence is your heart still dull to follow him as, as some of these people were when they saw his, you know, the evidence of who he was? Or do you see the majesty, his majesty and power and think, oh, I, need to, I need to hear what this God has to say and I need to obey him. 
See, we need to evaluate ourselves. That's what the parable of the sower is showing us. We need to evaluate ourselves whenever we approach the word of God. God, is my heart set to receive this continually, not just once, continually every day? And if not, why not? And so in the next verses, Jesus explains the parable privately to his disciples. And it's going to give us a really good framework, I think, of how do you evaluate your heart? It's the posture you take towards scripture. So we're going to go through the explanation and ask yourself, right, does this show up in my life? And, and I imagine for most of us, if not all of us, there will be some element of this that does show up in our lives. Because again, this is continual response. It's not just your initial response. So we're going to start in Mark 4.14 as Jesus starts to explain the parable. The sower sows the word. That's it. We're going to stop already. Because I think that this is the first place we get tripped up. Who's the sower in the parable? It's Jesus, right? But it also could be anyone. The, the sower is anyone who is faithfully and accurately sowing the seed, the word of God. You know, if the, if the kids came out here and told us, you know, Jesus loves us and, and that, that, they would be sowers as best they know how, right? Um, but they would be sowers. I am being a sower right now, telling, talking about scripture accurately, hopefully, right? Um, the, the sower is generic, it's, it's the seed that's specific. And I think where we get into trouble is we let the sower distract us from the seed. What do I mean? Well, we all have different preferences on, on speaking style and teaching style. Uh, in this season at CIV, we have gotten a lot of practice at, at hearing different styles, right? We've had a lot of different people speak up here. And, and I don't know about you, but there have been different styles that I have preferred. I, th- I think that's natural for us. I think that's okay. I think that's okay. But what hasn't been okay for me is, you know, at times when, when it's been that style that I haven't preferred, I find myself zoning out. I find myself not as engaged with the word as I normally would be arriving to church with less focus. It's almost as if I've uh, pre-decided in my heart that <laughs> today's not going to be as helpful as normal because I just don't like the, the style or I don't prefer it as much. That's a bad heart posture. That's a bad heart, heart posture because it's the seed that matters. Right, and all those sowers that we've heard have been faithfully sowing the seed. Right, Paul himself uh, wrote half of the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 2, he talks about he was not eloquent, he came in fear and trembling, but he preached Jesus Christ. That's what mattered. So if you find yourself this morning thinking, oh no, it's Eric again. I know Jess is thinking that. Uh, don't, <laughs> she hears me enough. Uh, don't, don't focus on me though, right? Focus on the seed. Focus on the seed that I'm sowing. What is the scripture saying? Right? What is God trying to show you through the scripture? And I think the opposite is true too. We all have our favorite speakers. And we have these people who everything they say we think is gold. But the seed is what matters. So even if they have a great style and they're entertaining, you just are eating up everything they say, are they true to the seed? Or are they just saying things I enjoy and I just really like how they talk? Right? The seed is what matters. So what can you do if you struggle with this one? Well, what I've done, and that's been really helpful, is I just pray. One, I pray for the person who's speaking. I pray that they would accurately teach the scripture, I pray that they would deliver a clear message, and I pray that God would use the message and the scripture in my heart to challenge me, to change me, to help me grow. Because there's always something that God can teach us from scripture. Right? There's always something we can, we can learn and grow, grow in. And I find when I come with that mindset, I'm a lot more receptive. My heart's in a lot better place, no matter who the sower is. Because God is the teacher, and his word is powerful to work in our hearts. So now we're going to get to the first landing place, Mark 4, 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
So this is the first landing place, the path. It's the first posture to the word. And it's the heart that is unreceptive, just totally unreceptive. And I think there's a lot of different ways this shows up in people. One is pride. You know, the message of the gospel is that we are sinners, that we are not good people. But God loves us anyway and provides a way for us to be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ, as I talked about in the beginning. But I think some in their pride can't fathom that they're not a good person. I know that was certainly me before I became a Christian. I thought I was a great person. I wasn't perfect. <laughs> it's true. I thought I was a great person. I wasn't perfect. I was like, oh, I just make a couple of mistakes here and there. But you know, the Bible tells us, no, like we are so far from God who is perfect. We are so far from that. All right, some in their pride, they just can't, they just can't see that. Why would I need God? I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, Christians stumble on this as well, right? I've, again, I've heard the parable before. I know what it says. Like, ah, I know, I know how, I know what this means. I don't need this right now. And our knowledge puffs us up. That's pride. That's pride. So we're not as receptive to what God has for us today in the moment where we are, because we're not perfect right now. Some are, I think, unreceptive because they just don't like what the Bible teaches, right? They don't like the exclusivity of Christ. He is the only way. Uh, they don't agree with maybe like the sexual ethic taught in scripture. That's a common one today that, that people just don't like. Um, for Christians, there are some who pick and choose what they want to believe or, or obey in scripture. That's how this shows up, I think, in, in Christians' lives. That seed being on the path, that's what this is. I think there's many ways to be unreceptive. And what is the result, right? No, fr- no fruit is born. The, the word of God is no benefit if you're unreceptive. And I think that's a really tragic thing, right? Because the word is... I think those of us who have experienced it, it's very beneficial. It's helpful. It's not a burden. It gives us life, freedom. I think an interesting thing that Jesus points out here is is Satan is the one taking away the word. This is a a spiritual matter. There's there's spiritual warfare and spiritual things going on here. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, that talks about how the God of this world has blinded unbelievers to the truth. This is a thing we need to be aware of, right? That, that there's a spiritual uh, aspect to this and, and a spiritual blindness to this. And I think that points to the, what is helpful in addressing this in our lives. If you find people you're ministering to, people you're sharing with, or yourself becoming cold to scripture, pray, right? Pray that God would open hearts and break through the hardness of, of the path, as Jesus calls it here tell people see and hear and understand the truth. Like I had so many people praying for me. Uh, I don't even know how many people were praying for me when I wasn't a Christian. And, but God really changed my heart. Um, and he can do that for you too. So if you struggle here, pray, pray. The second landing place is in 16 and 17. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So this is one, this response is driven by emotion, right? This person recognizes the truth and is excited about the truth. This is great, right? The gospel is great. This is amazing. They receive it with joy. But again, this is about continual response. It's not just about initial response. And you see in this type of person, this type of heart, there is no root. The ground is too rocky, right? So the roots can't get down. And this is the person that doesn't endure for the long haul. I think it's very easy to trust God when the promotions are coming and when the car is running and when the kids are healthy and all this stuff. But Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life, right? That's just not something we experience in life. Quite the opposite. In fact, the scripture tells us very clearly that we should expect trials. We will suffer just as Christ has suffered. We share in his suffering. 
Scripture says, because of our faith, there will be persecution of some kind. But the rocky ground heart is one that is just not prepared for that. And then when tribulation, when persecution come, they fall away because that is their continual response over time. Life is hard. The Bible isn't working anymore. It's not giving me what I wanted. This isn't what I came for. If you think about it, the disciples were the rocky ground at this point. Have you ever thought about that? Right? They're following Jesus. They're excited about it right now. But then he gets arrested. Tribulation, persecution start coming. And they fall away, just like this passage says, every single one of them. I think that's pretty sobering to think about, right? If the disciples fell away, surely we can too. Surely we can too. I, I also think though that that is pretty hopeful because of course, ultimately the disciples come back and become the good soil and, and produce quite a bit of fruit, right? So much fruit. Well, besides Judas, I guess. <laughs> but again, this is about their continual response, continual response over time. So how, how do you combat this style or this type of heart in your life? Well, you persevere by trusting God. You persevere by trusting God. As believers, we believe this life is not all there is. There, there's more. There's eternal things awaiting for us. Life is not dependent on our promotions or our health. Life is dependent on Jesus. We know that. We believe that. We trust that. And so if you find yourself going, going through tough times, I know there's certainly people out here who are. I know that. You know, keep going, keep praying, keep reading, keep reminding yourselves of the truth. Put your roots down, as the you know, parable is kind of talking about, not in the uncertainty of the circumstances of life, but in the certainty of the word of Jesus. God is faithful. And if life is pretty good right now, which I know there's other people who would think that, take caution, put your hope in Christ, not in your circumstances, because there might be trial. I'm sure there is trial coming. The third is uh, the thorns in verse 18. Others are the sown among the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this is the heart that's pulled away by distraction. This is the one I struggle with the most, I think. I think every time I read this parable, I think about this parable, this is the one that the Spirit of God is like, Eric, pay attention to this one. Because, you know, there's a lot of things that can distract me, right? This one, you know, some things kind of start to grow. Maybe we don't know, but ultimately things, other things just come in and choke out the word. And there's two examples given on, on what, how this looks like. One is the deceitfulness of riches. All right. So these are the people who start to think that life is more about the stuff. It's more about the stuff. And so rather than pursue the spiritual things, the eternal things that God is talking about, they pursue the stuff and spend all their time pursuing the stuff, thinking that that can give more meaning than Jesus can, which I'm sure if many of you who have tried that know that that's just not the case, right? There's emptiness there. The other example is kind of interesting. Other things. That's very broad, <laughs> very giant category, other things. But that's really true because there are so many things that aren't necessarily bad, but just can get you busy. Like there's so many things I want to do, t- TV shows I want to watch, uh, places I want to travel, games I want to play, sporting events I want to see. I just can't do it all, right? I just can't. Like, I, I would love to. I could spend my whole day pursuing all these different hobbies and, and still not even get to it all. And you can see how quickly pursuing the word can fall by the wayside if you're not careful, right? There have been days that I, I go to bed and, and I just like realize I, I haven't thought about God really at all today. I guess I'll get to it tomorrow. But the danger is tomorrow, the same thing happens. And again and again, and we get so busy that we, that we neglect this, right? It's choked out. The benefit is choked out, 
right? Remember, that what Jesus is trying to get us to see here is that the landing spot you are doesn't necessarily show itself right away. It's revealed over time. Continual response. So, how do you combat this one in your life? Because, right, you're, the type of uh, landing place you are is always revealed. So how do you combat this? You weed. You pull out the thorns. You create space in your life for the word. You may need to look at your schedule and, and take out some stuff, Right? You may need to become comfortable with not getting to do everything you want to do so that you have the time to do what you really need to do, which is engage with scripture, pursue the spiritual things, develop your relationship with Christ. We need the word. Matthew 4, 4 says we, we live not by bread alone, but on the word of God. So, you know, set aside that time to read, set aside that time to pray, set aside time to come to church, right? Put it first because it's far more important than any other thing. And then the last landing place is the good soil in verse 20. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So as you can see, this is the only one that bears fruit in the end. It's the only one because it's the only one that continually over the long haul is responding in faith towards the word of God to the message of Jesus. And it's a lot of fruit, right? It's purposeful exaggeration here. But Jesus is trying to get us to see that there is benefit here. There is blessing in following scripture and responding to us, responding to it. The word is valuable, priceless, right? Nothing can replace it. So how do you, you don't combat this one. How do you become this one? Well, Jesus gives us three, three steps. Step one, hear the word. Step two, accept the word. Step three, bear fruit. So one, hear it, right? You have to be actively seeking out scripture, you know, this is on your own by, by studying it, by listening to, to good sowers, right? Faithful, accurate sowers, by discussing it with other believers. You know, you need to take every opportunity you can to engage and be uh, exposed, um, surrounded by scripture in your life. That's step one, you hear it. Step two is you accept it, right? You need to decide in your heart that you will accept it as true and as authority in your life. Even when it's difficult, and it is difficult sometimes, right? Even when you don't understand it, sometimes it is confusing, but you need to decide that I'm not going to rush through this. I'm not going to ignore this. If there's something that's like that where I'm stuck, I'm going to say, okay, God, if you say this, I will trust you that you are good. You know what you're talking about because you created everything. Um, and I will figure out how to put this into practice. I will figure out how to obey this because I trust you. So you accept it. And then third is the bearing fruit part. That's the part that we like. That's step three. Right? Fruit takes time to grow. This isn't your initial response to the scripture or to the gospel. This is your continued response over time. So keep going. Do this again and again. Here, accept, here, accept, again and again and again. And that is the parable of the sower. But you'll remember that Jesus says this understanding this parable provides understanding to all the parables, right? So this is not the only parable that Jesus shares with his disciples at this time. He actually shares three more. So we're getting bonus parables for the first, first message in the, in the parable series. Uh, they're a little shorter. But, but these next parables that Jesus shares with us, they, they highlight why we need to take the parable of the sower seriously. And the first one is a warning in Mark 4, 21 to 25. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? And not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention what you hear, to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you 
For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So the lamp here is Jesus and the message he brings, the gospel, the truth. And what he is saying is his message is here to bring light. Just as like a light, a lamp lights up the room, right? It's not hidden. That's the, the purpose is to be revealed, to bring truth. That's what Jesus has done. He's, he's revealed truth to us, the gospel, the truth of our state before God and, and the hope that we have in Christ. But then he says in the second half there, the measure with the measure you use, it will be measured to you from the one who has been, uh, from, has more will be given one who has not will be taken away, right? This is a warning to us. Getting to hear the word is a stewardship. And we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously. For the one who has more and more will be given. To those who continually respond to the word, continually, again, right? That's the key word here. Continually respond, continue to seek understanding. More will be given. God gives us understanding into scripture. He gives us more. But the opposite is true as well. That's the warning. To those who don't heed this, who don't pay attention, their heart grows colder and colder and colder. And we've all seen this, right? Someone's like very active, coming to church all the time, listening, engaging to the word, then slowly it starts to drop off because they don't manage, right, the different things we just talked about. And slowly over time, it gets taken away and and they just don't seek the word at all. Unfortunate, but but it happens. That's what this warning is. Is about. So we need to treat this as a stewardship. We need to treat this seriously. The gospel is a serious thing, right? It's a weighty, heavy thing. So Jesus warns his followers, pay attention to what you hear. And then Jesus closes with these last two parables. So we're going to read them starting in Mark 26 here. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to, it puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And then the next one starting in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seed on, seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. plants. And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So Jesus now is casting vision, right? This is the picture. As people faithfully and continually respond to his message, to the gospel, the kingdom of God slowly but unmistakably and unstoppably grows and grows and grows, right? It started out with these 12 disciples. Then they all fell away. So we were back to zero. And then (laughs) it went back to 11. And then over time, they continually responded, right? slowly, faithfully becoming that good soil that Jesus is talking about here. Not growing cold, not becoming distracted. I'm sure some became distracted along the way, but they came back. Um, Not letting trials, and they faced trials. But not letting those trials get them off course, but they were good soil. They kept going, and as they did that, God kept adding more and more. And as they faithfully sowed, more and more were added to the kingdom of God by his power, right, and his grace working in individuals, people's lives. And this morning, we could be part of that as well, right? We're part of this as well. The kingdom is at hand. Jesus has been revealed. Salvation is there for every single one of us today. But the harvest is also coming, as the first parable said there. So we need to seek the word and be receptive to it and, be understand- and seek understanding while we still can. Because we know the end of the story, 
too, right? The kingdom of God will prevail. It'll be larger than any, any of the other plants. You know, so my encouragement to you this morning is take this seriously. Examine this. If you've never responded to the word of God, like start asking questions. Start, you know, talking to people. Take this seriously. And if you have, right, continually do that. Right? We have the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we continue to respond, we can trust that his 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit that he talks about will come and our faith will be proven as true in the end for God is faithful to bring that about. So let me pray for us and then we can welcome the band back up. Jesus, thank you for this message. Um, Thank you that you have offered forgiveness to each one of us. I pray, God, that you would um, stir in our hearts what type of landing place we are today. where we are struggling on that, and I pray that you would help us um, by your power and by your grace, get us back on track wherever we are. Um, I thank you so much, God, that you are a God who wants to reconcile with us, who loves us, who's given us scripture so that we can understand what life truly is and that is found in you alone. So God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Thank you so much for all you've done and all you're continuing to do in our lives. We love you in your name. Amen.